I'm excited this morning to lay some track for another foundational message. I mean, you know, the Bible's full of truth, but there are some truths more critical than other truths. And, uh, and, and making sure that you keep the main thing, the main thing is huge. Last, a couple weeks ago, when I shared with you about living a God-honoring life, I mean, that, that's like a cornerstone building block of a successful Christian life. Honor God. Put him first. I want to give you another cornerstone this morning that centers around the person of Jesus Christ. Keeping Jesus supremely the center of your life. Now, we hear this kind of talk, making Jesus Lord, et cetera, et cetera, but I, I want to drive this home today so that we don't just get caught up in Christian lingo, but how many of you know the truth of God's word should really explode in our hearts so that we're, we're shaken by it? It's, it's powerful. It's life-changing. And I want to talk today about the preeminence of Jesus, but also the preciousness of Jesus. So get your Bible out to Colossians 1.18. Now, how many of you have figured out in our culture today you can talk about kind of any other world religion, and everybody celebrates and claps, but when you talk about the supremacy of Jesus Christ, and you honor him as he, as he should truly be honored, you put yourself at opposition with the entire world. And let me just share with you, especially in America, I find it interesting, at, at the holidays, Christmas, uh, Easter, the, the latest Time or Newsweek magazine is coming out, the latest revelation of how Jesus uh, really isn't who the Bible says he is. Is that it's a constant dumbing down of Jesus. It's a constant bringing Jesus down to our level where we make him more like us and, and thus we're more comfortable with him. Can I encourage you? We have to resist that. And, and I want you to have such a sense of passion and, and holy pride in your heart for the greatness of Jesus that you never let anybody knock Jesus off the pedestal that only he is on and that he rightly deserves, and that we keep him exalted not only in our minds and in our doctrine, but in our hearts for the awesome, one-of-a-kind person that he is. Now, let's go to Colossians 1.18. This is going to be our, our launch pad, and then we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 1. In Colossians 1.18, listen to what Paul says about Jesus. It says that in everything, everybody say everything, he, meaning Jesus, might have supremacy. You know, I was thinking about, call, you know, how many of you have watched the Born Identity, Born Supremacy? I was, we need to do a series called Jesus Identity, Jesus Supremacy, because Jesus is greater than Jason Bourne, in case anybody wasn't sure about that. Um, but in everything, Jesus has supremacy. Now, I love the way some of the other translations say it. Uh, the Amplified Version says that he alone, Jesus, in everything and in every respect might occupy the chief place. Everybody say chief place. That is, he stands first and preeminent. Now, listen, he's not only in the chief place in the whole cosmos. How I many know he needs to be in the chief place in you and in me? He needs to be seated at the center of the table, at the head of the table. He needs to be on the throne of my life. He needs to take the chief place. Look at the King James Version. It says that in all things, he might have preeminence. I love that word, preeminence. The NLT says he is first in everything. Isn't that powerful? Think about this for a minute. Jesus first in everything about my life. That, in an essence, is what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's not that you go to church. It's not that you believe certain things in your head. It's not that you throw money in the offering plate every now and then. It's not that you try to be a good person. Listen, what it means to be a follower of Christ is that he is preeminent in you. 
It means he has taken a place where he is the chief place, the highest place, first place in your heart. Now, first of all, these are crazy big claims. I want you to notice something because we do things here in church and, and that would probably be viewed as very strange out in the world. Guess what we just did just moments ago? We took our children and we recognized that they came from God and that they, ready for this, they rightfully belong to God. I mean, this is like pretty awesome. Like, if, if, if we really believe that all that is true, what kind of God would demand that kind of crazy response? I mean, you go out in the world today and tell people, hey, your kids don't belong to you. Your kids really belong to God. And they'd be like, well, who do you think you are? Tell them, I don't know, these are my kids. You know, you, you know what I'm saying? What we just did here was a radical statement about the, about the support, superiority and supremacy of Jesus Christ and about who he is. Because that's a pretty radical claim. But let's go to Hebrews chapter 4 and look at verse 1. Did I get that right? No, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 1. <laughs> I got inverted there. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. I want to lay a foundation, first of all, for the preeminence of Christ, and then we're going to get quickly into the preciousness of Christ. Listen to what the Bible says. Long ago, God spoke in many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. So let's just pause right here. Aren't you glad, first of all, we have a God who speaks? We're not trying to figure this out on our own. God has spoken loud and clear, and he did so through the prophets. When you open your Bible, the whole Old Testament, what do you find? You find people saying this phrase, thus saith the Lord. They're speaking on behalf of God. How many of you know all those thus saith the Lord's reveal a part or a piece of the totality of who Jesus the Messiah was going to be. So when they prophesied, they prophesied in part. Now let me give you an example. How many of you ever tried to work a puzzle? You take that puzzle piece out. That individual piece is a part of a larger picture that you're trying to figure out what it looks like. So how many know the prophets prophesied in part, but what they were saying, they had no context for the whole. They, they spoke under the Holy Spirit, and they revealed things about the Messiah. But how many of you know, look at what the next verse says, because this is powerful. Look at the second half. And now, in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. This is awesome. This is a bold and radical claim that the final word of God is Jesus Christ, his son. God's not talking anymore. He's not talking in bits and pieces anymore. When Jesus comes on the scene, literally the last puzzle piece goes in, and what emerges from the puzzle is the greatness of Jesus Christ. God's final word, everybody hear this, final word, meaning there are no more new words. His final all-encompassing revelation of who he is is in the man Christ Jesus. Now, can we just pause here? This is a crazy claim. There are no world religions that make this claim. There are no people that make this claim. But God is boldly establishing his son. He says, this is the way it used to be. But from now on, I'm speaking and I have spoken through one man. His name is Jesus. This puts Jesus in an entirely different category of importance. Nobody is on the same level of Jesus. That's why you don't put him on the bumper sticker with all the other world religions because there's no comparison between Jesus and anything. He is the final word of God. Now listen, I know, I know what I just said would get me kicked off of YouTube. But it's the truth. And the problem is, Christians, sometimes we don't believe what the Bible teaches. 
Jesus Christ is not the bits or pieces. He's not just part of the revelation. He, he is God's final word, listen, on everything. What does Jesus have to say about it? Can I just tell you, when you become a Christian, you lose your opinions. I don't, you don't care to come on Sunday. Let me tell you my opinion. Who cares? I'm here to tell you the final word. Well, Pastor, um, what's your opinion on marriage? Well, I don't really have an opinion on marriage, but thus saith the Lord. Jesus has an opinion on marriage. Well, Pastor, what's your opinion on gender? Well, I don't really have an opinion on gender, but, but Jesus made it clear that there's men and women, male and female. Well, Pastor, what, you know, what's your opinion on this type of sexual behavior? Well, I, I don't really have an opinion on anybody's bedroom activity, but Jesus does, and what Jesus says about things is God's final word. It is the absolute final authority on everything. <laughs> Period. Now, I'm, I'm trying to shock you a little bit this morning because how many know we can get way too familiar with Jesus? Jesus is on a whole other level. Jesus is so much higher and is such a place of absolute uniqueness. And listen, we need to be asking this question. What does Jesus think about that? What does Jesus have to say about it? Because if Jesus is God's final word about everything, his opinion is the only one that matters. So what do we do? We run around. We should be Bible immersed. We should be hungry to know what God thinks and what God has said. And here's the application. If Jesus is God's final word, how do I apply that personally? Well, I listen. And I obey. I listen. I obey. Let's go to the second point. This is radical. Jesus is the owner of everything. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance to him. Now, God has one son. I have eight children. When dad passes away and mom passes away, we'll leave an inheritance. The kids will, will split it eight ways. They'll probably get a can of green beans or something like that. It'll be great. <laughs> I, hope they don't, I hope they don't fight over it. But there's, there's eight heirs. God has one son. Amen. There's one heir. And Jesus gets everything that's God's meaning the entire cosmos and everything that exists, including you and me. Now, I just want to, God's fast-forwarding the tape and saying at the culmination of human history, how's everything going to be divided? It's only going to go one way. The sun's getting everything. Let's just apply this. Everything will be given to Jesus on the great day. It speaks of his authority, his dominion, and it puts my life now in, very much in perspective because how many know everything already is his? The snazzy new jacket I got at TJ Maxx. My house. Come on, come on. My house, my car, those dogs, everything, my children, my gang. So why are we trying to build empires? Why are, we, why are we putting our ladder on the, climbing the ladder of success only to get to the top and find out that it all belongs to God every, anyway? 
and that we've had to lie and cheat and kill and do everything to get there, and we've basically wasted our life. Do you hear what I just said? Every single thing in the cosmos that exists rightfully is going to be handed over to Jesus Christ. Psalm chapter 2, God says to Jesus, ask of me. I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. Listen, every petty dictator, every totalitarian, you know, nut job that's been uh, tormenting, killing people, torturing people, all these petty little kingdoms, they're all going to be handed over to the Lord, and we're going to stand before the one who inherited all of it. Listen, it, whether you've been given a lot of stuff or you got a little, little stuff, how many you know you're, gonna, you're eventually going to recognize that all the stuff belongs to him? And here's the thing. I want the fear of God to catch you because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. If you know that now, you will honor him now. And you won't get all freaking out about everything. And you'll recognize that you're simply, ready for this word, you're a steward. You're taking care of somebody else's stuff. It's all... Jesus. Now, here's the good news. The Bible says because we're in Christ, we are joint heirs with him. So listen, some of you are like, man, I always wanted to go to Bora Bora. I never got to go to Bora Bora. Chill out. Jesus inherits Bora Bora. I'm with him. I don't know about you. I'm living forever on a glorified planet. Bora Bora is going to be wawa wawa when, when <laughs> sin is gone. I mean, this planet is, is broken right now. But when Christ comes to restore it, and guess who, gets the, guess who inherits the planet? The Bible says the meek will inherit the earth. I'm a joint heir with Christ, which means he's the, he's the heir. I'm with him. Which means everything that's his. So when we talk about ruling and reigning with Christ, so listen, chill out. You didn't get to Hawaii last week. Chill out. Eternity is a long time. It belongs to Jesus. I'd like to go to Hawaii with Jesus someday. It's going to be awesome. How about you? Let's, hey, let's schedule a trip right now. I believe we're going to have time to fit that in. Come on. <laughs> Come on. This is awesome. All right. I got it. You guys are having way too much fun. I got to move ahead. Point number three. Jesus is the creator of everything. Look at verse two. Through the sun, he created the universe. So, the Lord already took us to the end, and Jesus is going to inherit it all. But now we go all the way back to the beginning, and Jesus was the one that created it all. So why does he get to inherit it all? Because he's the one who created it all. Look at what the Bible says. Sometimes we don't think of Jesus as the creator, but it's exactly who he is. John chapter 1, verse 3. God created everything through him, Jesus, and nothing was created except through him, Jesus. So let me ask you guys a question. If, if Jesus has the ability to speak and things are done and things are created, how many of you think he could speak to your life or to your situation? If, if he was able to speak to the chaos that existed and call forth order and beauty out of chaos, then how many of you know he can speak to the chaos in Ron Johnson's life and he has the authority to bring peace? How many of you know if there's storms going on and Jesus is in your boat? Jesus has the authority to speak to the wind and the waves. And guess what? They listen to him because he made them. And guess what? When Jesus showed up at church and he started preaching and demons started screaming, we know who you are. You're the son of God. He just said, shut up. And they listened. So how many of you know Jesus has the authority to still 
the demonic darkness inside our hearts at times when we're far from him. We're, this has radical implications. And let me just tell you something else. I just got to throw this in here because it needs to be said. The suggestion that Jesus, the creator of the planet, as we're going to see in just a minute, the sustainer of the planet, is somehow freaking out because humans are going to destroy the, the planet because we, you know, drive gasoline cars or we, or we suck from plastic straws is an insult to the one who created and sustains the universe. This does not mean that we shouldn't care for the planet. We should. We, in fact, we have a higher calling to care for it because it belongs to Jesus. But it means we're not arrogant enough to suggest that we're actually in charge and that somehow the universe is being threatened right now. Well, that's enough controversy for this morning. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Point number four, Jesus is like God in everything. It says the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Now think about this for a minute. What sunshine is to the sun Jesus is to God. When you look at Jesus, you literally see the glory of God shining, at least as much as people could bear. Now, you all remember when Saul was on his journey to persecute the church, and he had a little encounter with Jesus. You all remember that? And the Bible said he was knocked to the ground, and he, he, he saw the blazing glory of the Son of God. And I mean, you know, it literally burned his retina. He was blinded. We cannot look upon, directly upon the glory of God. We're not made for it. God is clothed in unapproachable light. He is radiant. Jesus just allowed a little bit of the glory of God, and Saul was blinded. It took a miracle to heal him. Y'all remember that? How about when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration? Remember that? And Jesus allowed just a little bit of the glory to seep out, and they were in awe. They said his, his, his garment shined like brilliance. In other words, how about this? People say, ah, you know, I'm on a search for God. Stop it. Look at Jesus. Amen. I'm trying to find God. No, no, no. God's already revealed himself. The exact copy, the exact representation of God is his son. So when people are like, I'm on a search, you know, I'm trying this, I'm trying that. I'm reading a little bit of Jesus. I'm reading a little bit of this. Stop it. Jesus is the exact replica, image, glory bearer of the Father. If you want to know what the Father's like, gaze into the beauty of Jesus. If you want to know what God thinks, what did Jesus have to say? If you want to know how God acts, what did Jesus do? Man, you read through the Gospels, what is Jesus doing? Going about doing good, healing all that are oppressed by the devil, healing people that are sick and diseased, caring for the poor. Jesus is, is revealing the Father heart of God, loving people, raising people from the dead. How many of you know if you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. He's amazing. So again, I ask you the question, did any prophet from any other religion say, if you've seen me, you've seen God? No, nobody says that, because you'd have to be nuts to make that kind of claim, because it would be obvious that you ain't. But Jesus makes that claim. He says, if you, if you want to know what God's like, look at me. If you've seen me, you've seen my Father. That is a crazy, audacious claim. And can I just tell you, it puts Jesus in a place where there's no competition, Nobody's in that room except Jesus alone, which is what do, what do we do? So we worship him, and we surrender to him. See, this is just what logical people do. We, we hear the truth. We connect it to our lives. 
Let's end with this part. Jesus is also the sustainer of everything. Look at verse 3. He sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. He is the creator. He's the heir. And in between, like right now, he is the sustainer. Now, in the time that it takes me to snap my fingers, ready for this? We have traveled 19 miles on the planet. And the time that I took to snap my fingers, because we're not only going this way, we're going this way at the same time. So the first snap, one second, we moved 19 miles. The second snap, we moved a quarter of a mile this way. Now, nobody's throwing up. <laughs> Nobody, nobody's falling out of your seats. In fact, can I just say something? Most of you don't even know that we're moving right now. But there's a lot of things we don't know. In fact, there's a whole cosmos that's not chaos. It's complete order. There's planets moving, in fact, so much so that people could determine where a planet would be a certain time of year just based on mathematical calculations. That means there's laws in the, in the heavens. Where did they come from? They came from the one who not only created it, who not only is the heir, but right now he sustains the inner workings of the entire universe. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This guy must be awesome. This guy must have some clout. This guy must have some wisdom. This guy must have some authority. I need to know him, trust him, submit to him. He's obviously wise, so I can trust him with my life. Is this making sense to anybody? Like, we're not talking about sustaining it like he's Mr. Atlas holding the universe on his shoulder. No. He is sustaining the regulation of the workings of the entire cosmos even as we speak. Amen. If we could be spinning around at 19, 19 miles in a second and a quarter of a mile this way, uh, and that's just planet Earth, and he's holding it all together by the sheer counsel of his own wisdom and will. What a Savior we have. And here, you know, when we talk about magnifying the Lord, we're not talking about trying to take a magnifying glass and take a tiny object and make him seem bigger. We're actually taking a telescope to someone that's so great and so far out and trying to bring him into our tiny little view so we could actually appreciate how big and awesome he is. But look how this verse ends. I'll bring it to close right here. It's not enough that Jesus is preeminent. Because the devil knows that Jesus is great. Jesus is also precious. And this is what separates lovers of Christ from just people with a knowledge about God. If all those things I just said are true, then there should be a healthy fear of the Lord in our hearts that would say, God, I would love to know you. I would love to somehow have a relationship with you. I would love, I know I'm not right. I know I haven't lived right. I know I haven't pleased you. But God, is there any way I could somehow come into your presence to have a relationship with you? I, I would want that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Amen. Look at what it says in verse 3. When he, meaning Jesus, has cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Here's the good news, that amazing Jesus I just talked about, the owner of everything, loved you and I enough that he humbled himself and took on this flesh, the one that cannot be contained by the entire universe, took on this flesh. 
and went through the frustrations we go through and was tempted in every way with sin, but sinless and was beaten beyond recognition and nailed to a cross and died for me and died for you. The Bible says he cleansed us from our sins. The God that can speak the universe into existence, the God that could inherit it all and sustain it all, is the same God that has the power to cleanse the human heart. Amen. And the God, who, the God who can speak and create has the power to speak and create a new heart in me and a new heart in you. So here's the deal. He's not only awesome, he's preciously awesome. Because I don't know where I would be without him. And that's why when we're singing and worshiping, my heart's overwhelmed with gratitude. I mean, I'm, I'm here today dedicating a child, grandbaby to the Lord. And I'm, I'm just thinking, who am I? Who am I? I'm a, I'm a tiny little speck whom God loves very, very much. So much so, thank you, Michael. So much so that he purchased my freedom and my redemption. And so he's precious to me. And, I, and what he's blessed me with, I, my kids, my grandkids, family, friends, all of you, is part of the gratitude I give back to God for what he's done. So, so he's precious to me because he's my Messiah, he's my Savior, but he's also the one that's seated next to the Father at his right hand, which, which means he is the Lord of everything. And it means, it means that each one of us will stand before God. Now, I went back to Jesus being the final word. You know, Jesus said a lot of things about a lot of things, but there's a lot of churches today, they, they don't think that the concept of hell, the biblical concept of hell is real. Because if, God, if God's love and blah, 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 blah. But do you know who talked about hell more than anybody in the Bible? Jesus. The final word about everything. Amen. Jesus. He's the expert on hell. And you know why he talked about it so much? He doesn't want any of us ever to go there. And so we have to see how big he is because that should put a fear in our hearts that we're not just dealing with anyone. A good fear, a fear that says, God, I want to give my life to you. And I, I'm, part, I'm part of your creation. I'm part of, this is amazing, I'm part of the inheritance of Jesus. I'm part of the all things that belong to him. And so he is my savior, and, I'm, and he's precious for that. But I, I got to tell you this, too. It is precious to me that he has the final word about everything in life. It gives me such peace. I don't live in fear. I don't live in worry. He is Lord of my family. He calls the shots in my life. He is Lord of my future. He is the savior of my past. He is the Lord of my right now. He that holds the universe together is holding my life together, my marriage together, my family together. He is awesome. And I don't just love him because of his greatness. I love him personally because he is my Savior and my Lord and my King. And let me end with this verse. 1 Peter chapter 2. Yes, it says, he, Jesus is very precious to you who believe. Can I tell you something? There are people that just pray a prayer and they think, well, that's good enough. I prayed the prayer. 
But there's a difference between saying words and having words said that are precious. Uh, when I got married and I gave my vows to my wife, they weren't just words. I was trying to hold it all together because I was committing myself to someone that in my eyes had great value and great worth and great treasure. And she was precious and is precious to me to this day. A person that's born again doesn't just say words. A person that's born again has a heart in which Jesus has become precious. And so the words come out of a heart that has been broken and full of love. And the words are simply a surrender, an adoration, a thanksgiving, and a cry that God would come into my life and change me. It says, to you who believe, Jesus is very precious. But to those who reject him, it says, well, the same stone that was rejected by the builders has become the very cornerstone, the most honored and most important part of the building. You know, I, I get a little impatient with all this going on in the parking lot because I wish it would go faster. But then I'm reminded that's the most important part of the entire project. They're laying the foundation. They're getting ready to pour the concrete. They're, they're getting ready to put the, the pillars in that are going to support a two-story structure. If that does not get done right, the whole thing falls down. Let me tell you something. If Jesus is not the cornerstone, your life will not hold together. If Jesus is not the cornerstone, your eternity will not hold together. Jesus has to be central, and he has to be precious. That's what it means to be born again. Now, the good news is, if you'll act on what I just preached, this is not my opinion. I just taught you the Bible. If you'll put Jesus in that role of greatness and you'll honor him, and you want to make him the center of everything that you do, he'll come in and he'll take that place, and he'll bring order and blessing to your life all the days of your life, and listen, forever. I'm not just talking about the short time we have here. I'm talking about forever. Would you stand to your feet with me? Can we just honor the Lord right now? And if you're comfortable, you know, we talked about that beautiful song we sang about, I will bow on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh, Lord, the battle belongs to you. Right now, the battle is for some of you. It's for your soul. It's for, it's for your heart. And the one who created it all and sustains it all still invites us to come. It's an open invitation. So I want to ask our leadership team to come up here. Some of you need prayer this morning. You know, I talked to a person this morning that got a, a, bad, uh, a bad report from the doctors. But how many of you know the final authority on everything is not any human authority. It's God Almighty. And so you might need healing in your body today, or you might need a touch from God, or you might need help, or you might have come here depressed and downcast and uh, oppressed. The good news is you're coming to the greatest being the greatest one in the entire universe, the one that can help you. So if you don't know Christ, this is a great morning just to slip out when I say amen. Just make your way up here. There's wonderful, friendly people here. They just want to love you. They want to pray with you. 
and they want to be with you and invite Christ into your life, it'll, it'll, it'll supernaturally transform your life. Some of you might feel very distant from God. What a great day to say, Lord, I, I just want to come back. I want the cornerstone to be center in my heart. So, Lord, thank you for what you're doing here right now. Father, thank you for these critical truths we talked about today. We honor the greatness of your son, Jesus. And, Lord, I pray even as the word has gone forth, it will not return void. Lord, touch people today. Heal people today. Save people today. Deliver people today. Encourage hearts today. Break off depression and, and heaviness off people's hearts today. And, Lord, just let your son, Jesus, be large and in charge and precious in all of our hearts. We pray this all in your mighty name, Lord. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Hey, we love you guys. Have a great, great week. We can pray for you. Come on down, all right?